Hello, everybody. Today, Robert and John are joining me. It is Thursday, the 2nd of February, and we're just going to have an update on what has been going on. Last night, the Federal Reserve increased the base rate in the States by 0.25%. That is the smallest increase in recent months. And the market has sort of taken it as an indication that maybe we're getting to the top of interest rates, at least in the United States. Jerome Powell has made it perfectly clear that further rate rises might be necessary, and it all depends upon with the inflation prints. The press conference last night, he said that he doesn't know where inflation's going to go. He must have a reasonable idea, but equally you wouldn't expect him to know where it's going to go. And by the time you're listening to this, we will know what the Bank of England has done at uh, 12 o'clock today. I think that perhaps the most important thing are the minutes of that meeting, because you get a good idea of the direction of travel, the current thoughts of the various committee members. John, what do you think? Well, I think the Fed have done what we probably expected, which was they have to do something. They can't take their foot off the pedal yet because they run the risk that there is a, a spike in inflation again, and then the cat's out the bag. And so their credibility is already on the floor. So they have to keep putting rates up, I feel, and they put it up by, by in essence, the, the, the smallest amount that they could get away with. Yeah, I mean, there are signs, of course, that inflation is, is moderating. And as we've said before, I don't think it's going to stay double digit, but it may end up around the 5% mark for some, some considerable time, which still poses problems for all central banks. As for the Bank of England, uh, who knows what they think? I don't think they do think. That's why for the last, was it the last eight meetings, they put rates up every single time. That is an example of how useless it is and the people who are responsible for setting the price of money are in this country. 4% today then, potentially. So be interesting to see again what happens there. I think they'll follow the Fed. I, I think they'll probably put it up a quarter. Not out of any great foresight on their part, but we have to do something, but we don't want to do something that is looked upon as maybe being a little bit too over the top. So we'll ratchet it up by a quarter and try and project that we actually know what we're doing when the truth is quite obvious that they have no clue what they're doing. If you have to put rates up for eight meetings on the bounds, you've made a big mistake. I thought there was an interesting omission the other day in the fact that the Bank of England is concerned that uh, inflation is now embedded. And as we've said before, you're not getting the transitionary word used anymore. I do keep on coming back to the fact that I think that the, the states is in better control of these issues and should recover quicker than the UK. But that word embedded, we were there in the 1970s. And with UK interest rates being way behind inflation, massive negative inf uh, interest rates at the moment. I just feel that uh, interest rates are going to have to stay uh, higher for longer. And that is, it might not affect the, the global stock markets that much and clients' investments that much. It might be good for it. But there's a lot of things in the UK which potentially could go badly wrong. It's a bit too late to be wondering or worrying about whether inflation is going to become embedded 
we should have been thinking about that a long, long time ago. It's not that long ago. I remember Bailey saying something like it. They jacked rates up from, what was it, a quarter of a percent to half a percent. And he described it as a preemptive strike against inflation. I mean, words fail you. Well, on a positive note, we're now at the beginning of earnings season, which for some people might not realise that the majority of companies announce their full year results during the next sort of few weeks or so. And today we've had stellar results from Shell, making one of the biggest profits in corporate UK corporate history of $40 billion. And needless to say, that has raised a few eyebrows and comments regarding windfall taxes. Uh, Roche has come out with its results. Meta, which is the old Facebook, came out with results last night. And whilst they weren't particularly good, they were in a lot better than the stock market anticipated and its share price was up significantly in after hours trading yesterday. I think it's very interesting that a lot of companies, whilst there was an, an awful lot of doom and gloom 12 months ago, have actually fared the, str- the storm well. Some haven't. Snap, which is a company I just don't understand, has had a bit of a disaster by all accounts, and I'm sure there are plenty more out there. But I think it comes back to the fact that by quality, and it will see you through difficult periods. That was always the case. The one I would talk about is Shell. What a surprise that once we have a situation that has been engineered by politicians, that oil companies no longer have uh, much of an incentive to go out and find new supply. Unfortunately, demand for oil and gas is still growing, especially in Asia. So we have very little increase in supply against a larger increase in demand. I don't think you need to be particularly well-versed in supply and demand curves to work out what's going to happen to the oil price. So the agenda that is now everywhere with net zero and all the rest of it is giving oil and artificial Philip, which is going to be there, I suspect, for quite some time. But the realities are that the modern world runs on fossil fuels. You can try and decarbonize, but if you get the timescale wrong, and I would argue that that has definitely been the case, standards of living around the world in Western-style nations are going to crater unless you accept that that timescale has to be longer. Politicians have built in all these problems now with regard to oil prices, energy prices. I mean, forget Putin, that's just something that came out of the ether. But oil or the demand for fossil fuels is still going to continue rising and the living standards of Western nations are based upon the consumption of fossil fuels. That's is the reality. And it strikes me that around the world, politicians are just ignoring reality and they have not explained to their populations what the realities are. Maybe they don't understand them, but we only have to look at Germany to see what a disaster they have made of their energy policy. They can their nuclear plants uh, just as they were heavily getting into bed with Putin's oil supplies. And now they're having to 
increase the uh, supply of lignite, which is brown or dirty coal, of which Germany has quite a lot, uh, in order to keep the lights on. So if they'd only extended the period to a realistic period, uh, time scale with regard to decarbonisation, um, you wouldn't be having now to dig ever more brown coal or lignite, which, which is the worst stuff of all. Wherever you look, I look at the competency of governments in, in liberal democracies, and it's just at an all-time low. We've got people making decisions who've never had real jobs. All they've ever done is work in politics, which perhaps is why they come up with such appalling policies, which is a a rather long-winded way of saying that I can't see that we are not in a period of elevated oil prices, gas prices. I think it's going to continue for quite some time. I think that what worries me is that this aim now for energy security within Europe and potential windfall taxes are affecting the confidence of these oil companies and their long-term investment goals, et cetera, et cetera. So we could be in a position where demand significantly outstrips supply, and that is going to have a very detrimental effect on the price which we all pay for our energy, which is so important to us. Absolutely. Are windfall taxes going to increase or potentially decrease the supply of, of, of energy, being politicians, they probably can't work that out. But if they would incentivize energy businesses to go and increase supply, we might be looking, instead of crude oil being at $85 a barrel this morning, it might be at 60 And therefore, you wouldn't necessarily be needing the windfall taxes. There wouldn't be an energy crisis, in inverted commas. And therefore... So many of the problems that we're seeing at the moment, including inflation, wouldn't be at the levels that that, that they're at. The basics of economics uh, escape these people. And and that is why we have this issue. I think the other thing which is surprising is that if you listen to the commentators, the media, etc., then the oil companies are portrayed just as that oil companies uh, producing a nasty uh, product. But... Interestingly, a third of Shell's spending is on renewables. And I don't think people would pick that up from the information which is out there unless you dive into their accounts very, very carefully. So they are trying to move towards cleaner energy, but they are subject to criticism on other fronts and potential windfall taxes, which will slow down that transition, in my opinion. Anecdotally, I act for a chap whose son is a trustee of quite a well-known seated family in this country, and this lad is 30. And yet, strangely, he is on the investment committee of this family fund, and I heard through the grapevine that he was extolling the virtues of FTSE tracker ETFs at very small percentage costs. It struck me that he's going about this the wrong way. Surely he wants investment performance rather than just buying something for nothing. So I wondered whether John had a view on that, because I think we all know what the FTSE has done over the last 20 years, and it isn't anything like some of the stocks we've bought. 
Well, at the end of, I think, 1999, a figure for the FTSE 100 index of 6,930 seems to stick in my mind for whatever reason. And what are we now? 7,700. So we could say that over the last, what, 20, 22 or three years, the the FTSE 100 has improved by 10%. And really, that's all happened in, in pretty much the last six months or so. So... Why would you want to sign up for that? And the idea that by just holding an index that everything is going to come right in the wash suggests that there's some kind of magic process where it will just happen. Well, as you can see, for the last sort of 23 years, it it hasn't just happened. I couldn't agree more. I also, one of my pet dislikes is the short-termism that uh, many people associate with investment. Now, to our minds, investment is you know pretty much a lifelong activity but the regulator um, insists that we have quarterly valuations maybe i can see their point often i get clients ringing me up saying oh gosh robert since the last quarter my stock's gone down by three percent and i'm very worried about it and i said well what what did you do before that and it went up by ten percent so you're net seven percent up i said oh gosh i didn't really realize that You can buy a managed fund, for example, where the stocks are traded very, very regularly. Now, I don't think that's the way we would do it. If you're getting it right, which is the idea, surely, you don't want to be buying and selling all the time. It incurs cost. It incurs stamp duty. And if if you think you can jog in and out, I don't know, you've got nine holdings and you're turning it over uh, 50% a year, what are you actually doing? I don't understand that process. But whatever it is, it's nothing to do with investing. And um, no. it's it's what Benjamin Graham might have called the chasing of quotational gain, meaning we're not trying to isolate what businesses are worth and try and think, is this business at a discount to a, to, to a price that makes sense? We're just trying to scout return out of the stock market casino And that's a concept that doesn't make any sense to me. So if people want to do it, let them get on with it. If people think they can do it, let them get on with it. Um, Because over the years, what what appears to me to be quite obvious is that not many people can do it. I'm sure you remember well, back in the day, in sort of the height of the dot-com boom, I do know people locally who gave up their day jobs to become, quote, day traders because it was that easy. And guess what? They're not doing that anymore. Or if they are, they don't shout from the rooftops about it. So perhaps they got it wrong. I think it was just symptomatic of the idiocy that happened at the time. I mean, to be a day trader, I mean, is anyone a day plumber or a day doctor? I mean, it's just... (laughs) It's just moronic. When, when one looks back, at the time we all knew it was moronic, but some people actually believed it. I fondly remember when I worked in North Allerton, a lady rang me up at the, the height of the dot-com boom and she, she said, I want to buy a stock called Infobank, which has subsequently gone bust, by the way. And it was recommended in a tabloid newspaper. And I said to her, do you have the money to purchase this? Oh, yes, I'm going to take my savings out. I said, I'm not sure that's a good idea. But if that's what you want to do, I can sign you up as an execution-only client. That means no advice given, no advice sought. She bought them. They went up. She sold them and said, told you so. Then she bought some more and they went bust. So she lost all her money. 
You didn't ring her up and say, I told you so, Robert. No, I didn't. I let her stew in that one. But we're not about that. We're not about casinos. We're not about putting our money on 27 red. We're about buying quality stocks. I know we've said this before, and I know it's, you know, an old scratch record, as my children would say to me. But it's true, you know. The rewards that we have had over the years, personally and for our long-standing clients, are there to be seen. There's something about human nature that wants to make things far more complicated than they actually are. I think that explains 90% of what goes on in the stock market. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So many thanks, everyone, for listening to uh, another blog of ours. We're trying not to get on our hobby horses of central bankers and inflation, interest rates and Putin. So we sort of we discussed that. But then we discussed earnings season, which is roughly speaking right now. The fact that um, Shell has made record profits. Duncan admitted not to being a snap shareholder because he said he was too old. I don't believe that. And John rightly pointed out that, guess what? Demand and supply, even I know that, and I've got a C in my economics A-level, means that if you've got more demand than you have supply of oil, the oil price is going to go up and Shell's going to make more profits. Well, you know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist for that one. We also discussed, really, do you want to invest for a minimal cost or actually do you want to invest for getting decent returns? The concept of FTSE trackers, um, really, they don't float our boats. So they have proven not to be the answer. Anyway, looking forward to uh, you spreading the word and we'll speak to you very soon. This material shouldn't be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. You should consult an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of any investment or income received from it can go up as well as down and you may not get back the amount invested. Information recorded within this podcast was accurate at the time of recording.